new to the Jeremiah Show. It's the Angel Baby Show. This is the story of two sisters talking about the things they love most. Pop culture, social media, entertainment, music, and fashion. And now, the Angel Baby Show, featuring Elise and Ava Lynn. And I'm Ava Lynn. And today I am super excited to be back on the Angel Baby Show. Yes, so exciting. We love is this our is this our third episode or yes, this okay. is our third episode. Um, super exciting. We love the Angel Baby Show. We love people that listen. It's so funny. We're talking to our friends that are listening. Um, so if <laughs> shout out, shout out to some of our college friends, some of our you know childhood friends, um, and also just shout out to anyone that doesn't know us. Um, I'm Ava Lynn. You can find me on Instagram, Ava Lynn Thurston, and then Elise is also on Instagram. And yeah, we have some some exciting stuff to talk about in our in our third episode. And thank you for making us number one and two this week across um, radio stations, across podcasts. Um, it's super exciting to be here. And it's just a really fun summer summer thing. I know it's so it makes me a little nervous knowing that some of my friends are watching or listening because <laughs> now I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? <laughs> but um, but yeah, we wanted to kind of welcome in and talk a little bit about this week and just what's been going on in our week. We recently moved houses and um, Ava was in Santa Barbara. I was in Palm Springs, but I, I don't know about you, but even like while I was working this week and had so much to do, I was so consumed with the submarine story that was going on. Yes. Like with the Titanic and the the people that were on Ocean Gate and they were taking a submarine down to see the Titanic. And I mean, for me, like personally, Titanic is my favorite movie of all time and I'm obsessed with it. And so when this first came out, all of my fr- people were just sending it to me because they knew I love Titanic and they were like, look what's going on. This submarines missing and this was on sunday and i thought oh, okay well they'll find it or it'll be fine oh god and then it just dragged on and social media and everyone went nuts over this it was crazy i know it's so funny i like didn't even think about you at first because i like kind of thought of the submarine like i didn't know that it was correlated with like the titanic like they were going down to see the titanic yeah. But the second I heard it was about Titanic, it was so funny. We were texting and you were like, I would do that. You're like, no, you're that's like, I would fully do that. That's what my initial thought was. I didn't even know you could go see the Titanic. I didn't know that. Rat, like, I thought you had to be a certified undersea diver explorer. And of course, my initial reaction was, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. I would love to do something like that, <laughs> um, which is obviously really morbid because on Thursday they found you know, particles of the submarine or submersible. And, you know, it's really fascinating to me because I, so as a kid, I was like obsessed. Titanic's my favorite movie. I was obsessed with all the history and looking things up with it. And after that, they found, you know, the boat and, or the submarine, and they kind of concluded that all of the people on Ocean Gate didn't make it, which is really sad. Um, James Cameron came out and had a comment on this. And James Cameron is the director of Titanic. He did the Avatar movies. And I did not realize how committed he was to making this movie. He went down 
I think, to see the Titanic wreckage 33 times. So as a total expert in just this submarine knowledge, and he was saying pretty openly on the news, voicing his opinion that he thinks that the CEO of it, there were warnings, it wasn't done properly, they didn't have the right safety regulations. And I mean, I was pretty... I thought that was pretty bold to say, but then I was like, I mean, it's James Cameron. Like he can kind of say whatever. Yeah. But, um, I know it's definitely sad. It's what's, what's so like hilariously like disturbing about our generation is that it's just like meme central on the internet about like this ocean gate thing. And it's sad, but it's also like just kind of crazy that they went to those lengths to kind of like to go see the Titanic. And a lot of us were like me personally, I was like, why don't you just watch the movie? You know, <laughs> but like, yeah. you know, some people really want, you know, in I, I feel like what made it so memeable <laughs> was that there were like two billionaires on the submarine. Yeah. And so I think sympathy just weirdly goes down when you know that they're that's so bad but i don't know i mean it's it was definitely really fascinating and people were following it and everyone was like looking at the live updates and they heard banging noises and they had a whole explore search going on but i don't know i haven't seen kids my age that caught up with like the news i know going on in a long time and i felt like everyone was pretty fascinated with it I know, especially for news that comes out in the summer, it's almost like a hit or miss. It's because, you know, a lot of us are either bored in the summer or like really busy and traveling and not like never on your phone. Mm -hmm. So I feel like news can kind of either go like both ways. Like it's either something that everyone obsesses over or it's like nobody knows anything about, you know, it's kind of funny, like what gets really, really popular and, and what doesn't. Yeah. And I think the the reason why people our age got so into this story was, you know, there's a lot of horrific things on the news and, and people, horrible things happening. But I think that because it was related to the Titanic, which is such a famous right. story and there's a movie and even, you know, you can kind of ask like, why did that shipwreck get so famous compared to others? And I, I think, you know, the fact that innocent people died and it was innocent people involved, it wasn't just, you know, submarine scuba divers, sea explorers. It, it was just people that wanted to go see the Titanic and paid for a trip or an experience. Um, I think it really freaked people out. I think the ocean is just honestly really terrifying sometimes, like the depths of it. And there's so right. much unknown creatures down there. And I think, I don't know, there's just something very fascinating. And it's weird how the the submarine story kind of resembles the actual story of the Titanic. And I think that's what a lot of the memes were about is, you know, they got the full Titanic experience. That's why why they're, I don't know. It's just really eerie. Yeah, no, that's so right. It's, it's so funny to talk to you because you really are like a Titanic super fan. I know you loved, (laughs) you loved that, um, that scene, um, the slap scene with like the, (laughs) please give me like the stop, but, um, Anyway, I just I think it's fun to talk to someone that has seen it a lot and likes it a lot, especially like with this new submarine thing. But I'd love to hear like a hot take you have about the Titanic, about like an actor and an actress or about a scene or about literally anything. Like now that we're talking about Titanic, we might as well get a hot take in here. 
Oh gosh. I mean, well, it's my favorite movie ever. And I, I personally am, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's the greatest movie of all time. And I think everything about that film was done perfectly. Um, And I think finding out that James Cameron has himself visited the Titanic wreckage 33 times just strengthens my hot take that it's just a perfect film. And I wouldn't, I actually don't think I would change anything about it. When I was little, I thought that the the opening where they are showing all that footage of the wreckage was boring. But I think now after this story, I almost want to go back and watch it. So mm, that's no, that's honestly a good point. I feel like now because of this whole submarine thing, I was thinking there has to have been a spike in people watching the Titanic right now mm-hmm. because because this submarine thing is such a big deal that there has to be like some type of like resurgence of the Titanic, like coming back to people's screens. I want to watch it. Like literally last night, last night we were like, let's watch the Titanic because we just like, we just are starting to think about it. Starting to think about Leo. I miss young Leo. Now he's, yeah, he was, no, I, I, when I was little, I loved the movie for just, I don't know, the cinematography or the ocean. And then when I was a little bit older and I watched it, I was like, wait, I love the actor. (laughs) I love the lead in this. So no. And it also like is so exciting because we did a Titanic, like immersive experience. Where even were we? We were were in North Carolina. Oh, we should talk about that. Yeah, we were in, I feel like it was North Carolina. I literally can't remember, but we basically got assigned a person. Like each of us went into this like museum kind of, you know, look at all the artifacts type of situation. And each of us got assigned a person and a social class and like, you know, your first class, your second class, your third class, you know, you had a real name for a real person that was on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. You went through the whole like museum. And then at the end of it, they told you whether you lived or not, which is crazy. And I died. I was like a mistress. Wasn't (laughs) I? I I was like a mistress to this like rich man and I died, but Elise, you lived, didn't you? Yeah. I forget who I was. I think I was a third class citizen and I lived on the the game. And dad, remember our dad was someone that's in the movie. He played, he got assigned like the richest man on the ship. Right. And I think he passed away too. He didn't make it. He was the one in the movie with the mustache and he was Like he, he like got on a lifeboat and like in, in front of women and children, Mm -hmm. he ended up dying. So karma, I guess, but he, um, but yeah, I remember I was like a mistress and I died and then my dad was like the richest man. He died. And then you mom were third class, like working citizens mm-hmm. and then you guys lived so it was just yeah. fun like it was such a fun immersive experience um and i bet you know something like that is definitely going to get more popular it looks like an updated titanic is coming back to the big screen which is super exciting that's something mm-hmm. that i haven't seen before but that's just so exciting yeah i believe it's funny they posted about it just yesterday, which I don't know if it's because of everything that's going on, but um, I know that they had it back. Actually, no, I think that they had it back for Valentine's Day in honor of their 25th anniversary of the movie. Mm. They, had, um, they had Titanic going on in screen and I've actually seen Titanic in theaters. I went in 2012 
when it was um, the hundredth anniversary of the ship sinking. And that movie is just meant for the theaters. It it looks so different on the big screen. It was absolutely gorgeous to watch. And you know, what's crazy about that movie is it's from the nineties, but just from like a film perspective, it holds up so well. I think the cinematography from that movie, which is in 1997, is totally blends in with the movies I'm watching today. I mean, I, I don't know what James Cameron did or what he paid for, but it's yeah. it's just gorgeous to watch. But sure, no, but the Titanic is so fun to talk about. It's so mysterious. It's so bougie. It's so like you know, it's just so fun to talk about. But we could talk about it all day. But um, we do have to take a break. And um, the Angel Baby Show is coming back with an interview. Elise, do you want to talk a little bit about your interview? Yeah, um, I am interviewing two very cool people. I'm interviewing Dimitri Logothetis. He's the director of an upcoming movie called Gunner. And he talks about working with Morgan Freeman, Luke Hemsworth, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. So he gave great advice. And then I also talked to an upcoming actress, Ariel Racine, who's in the new Mel Gibson movie. And she just gives great advice about making it in the industry and self-love so i'm super excited to share those interviews with you guys wait i'm so excited okay um come back to us after our break this is the angel baby show with elise and ava lynn and we'll see you in just a few bye baby show um it's elise here and i am about to show you i'm super excited i interviewed um director dimitri logothetis um he is directing an upcoming film gunner which stars morgan freeman um luke hemsworth arnold schwarzenegger's son and he talks about it a lot in the interview and just gives some great inspirational career tips so i'm super excited to show you that And then after the break, we're also going to have an interview with an actress in the upcoming Mel Gibson movie. So don't go away. Um, Hi, I'm Elise. And today I have the pleasure of talking about the upcoming film Gunner with the writer and director Dimitri Logothetis. Hi, how are you today? Good, Elise. How are you? I'm good. And I'm so excited to talk to you and really honored because um, just looking over the span of your career and the movies you've done. Um, this upcoming film, Gunner, stars the Academy Award winner Morgan Freeman and Luke Hemsworth and Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. It's just star-studded with amazing actors. And I would love to hear from you a little bit more about what Gunner's about. From what I've read, it kind of reminds me of Taken a little bit. And I just want to hear from you. It is. It's got a, some similarities in that. <clears throat> um, you have a ranger played by Luke Hemsworth, 
who is uh, a, a lifer. So he has been a career soldier. And um, he, uh, after several tours of duty in Afghanistan, he comes back to his home in Virginia and he's got these two boys. Uh, one of them's a teenager, the other one's still a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't know them. And uh, he had disappeared for about a year. Nobody would heard from him. So they thought his family thought he was dead. And so he decides to take them out on a camping trip to get to know them a little better. And he's very awkward, you know, um, when it comes to real life, which a lot of soldiers who have spent their life being a soldier are once they get back into the civilized world, um, it gets really tough for them. So he takes them out on a camping trip and they uh, run across this uh, this lab where they're making fen-fen, fentanyl. And mm-hmm. so the two boys get captured by the bad guys. And um, and then, he, you know, unfortunately for them, they captured the kids of the wrong man. And okay. so he single-handedly goes on a quest to save his children, to bring them back. And uh, in so doing, he connects with them, mm-hmm. doing what he does best. You know? Right. Right. Um, and then Morgan Freeman uh, plays the uh, head of the uh, uh, Fen Fen crew, the you know mm-hmm. the, the major drug lord, etc. Mm-hmm. And his son, um, who's a wonderful actor, uh, plays the part of Dobbs. Um, he's the one that kind of interfaces the most with uh, Luke, Luke's character. Um, so that's that's basically the story. No, and and I think that's so interesting that now Luke Hemsworth's character, who's always fighting, he's now fighting for family and something not related to war. And it's it's really interesting. And I wanted to ask more about how was Luke as an actor? What was it like working with him on set? Well, he's a terrific actor, actually. Um, he went to the Academy of uh, uh, over there in Australia. Um, where they've turned out uh, the Academy of, of uh, uh, Actors, uh, the Actors Academy, pardon me, of the Academy here. Um, and uh, they've turned out, uh, I think, several Academy Award winners from there. Um, so he's very serious when it comes to that. He really digs into character mm-hmm. and uh, focuses on character. And then I lucked out because I was planning to double him. I've got an action group that I put together when I first did the first remake of Kickboxer and um, their tie and uh, my tie action team is a, they do completely different action than most martial arts action. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chinese approach it in a different way. Um, The Japanese approach it in a different way. And the ties have a completely different look to them. You can see that it's martial arts, but it's a little different the hand-to-hand combat. And so I brought this team out and I've worked with them now. This is the the fourth movie that we've done together. They've worked on Extraction. They've worked on Gray Man. They've worked on my kickboxer films. And so I was planning to double Luke. But Luke is a a boxer, former boxer. And so his timing was incredible. So he really picked up those action sequences very well. And I didn't have to double him at all. And uh, so he's um, he's a pretty athletic guy, you know. Oh, wow. He's doing his own stunts. That's that's really impressive. I I don't know how an actor could do that. And um, 
I kind of want to, my next question was about um, the bad guys. And I think it's really fascinating because I, I've seen Morgan Freeman play God in a movie before. And he's like the most likable, beloved person on earth. I just, I don't know. What was it like casting him or framing him as the bad guy? Well, I did that on purpose because I don't <laughs> believe that bad guys, you know, are creepy. I don't believe mm -hmm. that bad guys are. I don't believe, first of all, that they think they're doing anything wrong. You know, right. um, and I think that they have to be likable. I think your your favorite mm -hmm. bad guys um, in any movie are the likable ones, the guys that you like. And I don't think how you can not like uh, Morgan <laughs> Freeman. So. And he's, you know, he's just such a poetic actor. I mean, he mm -hmm. delivers these lines in such a way that, I, you know, um, you know, it was written by Gary Scott Thompson, who's a wonderful writer who wrote mm -hmm. the Fast and Furious uh, franchise. And uh, uh, I didn't even expect the delivery that Morgan brought to it and the character that Morgan brought to it. So it was it was really a pleasure. That, I love that point, but I also agree. I, my sister and I, we always love the villains and the bad guys. And it's you kind of root for them sometimes in a weird way. Um, so it'll definitely be exciting to see that twist. Well, listen, I mean, all the bad guys in your life that you have been, uh, and, and I mean this word not in, in a dating way, seduced mm -hmm. by, where mm -hmm. you have actually bought into their spiel, let's mm -hmm. say, okay, they've been uh seductive they've right. been uh charismatic you know mm -hmm. and you're you, you listen to their point of view and you think oh yeah okay well that makes sense yeah. <laughs> and then you think to you, well, wait a minute this is not right <laughs> no they they deceive you they they trick you it's yeah that's so spot on and um i kind of wanted to go back to what you said about working with gary scott thompson who worked Fast and Furious obviously has a very like epic vision with his films. And I, I also want to ask you a little bit more about your own like artistic taste, but how did you two blend together? Would you say you guys are very similar? Are you very different in terms of just how you visioned Gunner at the beginning? Well, you know, we, I, I've been, I've been doing action films for the longest time mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've been, I came from action TV mm -hmm. and so is Gary. Um, but the similarity that we have is the action is an obstacle. That's mm -hmm. all it is. And I'm drawn to characters that uh, don't stand a chance. They don't have a chance yeah. at all of uh, overcoming these obstacles. Uh, they're outnumbered. They're outmanned. They're, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're out of everything. Um, and consequently, it doesn't really matter because they have a code. And usually it's all about family, whether it's their individual family where they're blood related or their, their chosen family, where it might be friends or or uh, it might be somebody that they're just going to stand up for, you know. And everybody uh, oftentimes will accuse me of being nostalgic in terms of uh, my approach uh, to story, you know, and I say to everybody, well, look, I mean, if you like John Wick and you really l paid attention to John Wick, the very first John Wick movie which is one of my favorite. Okay. Mm -hmm. They killed his dog. And, and then he went on this whole vengeful thing, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, if you really paid attention to what happened, they killed the only thing that he had that was left of his wife that he was completely in love with. Mm -hmm. Of course he was attached to the dog, but the dog meant so much more. Right. Okay. 
And it was the, and you know, he was a bad guy. John Wick was a bad, bad guy. But the one thing that he had, the redeeming quality that he had is that he loved his family. Mm -hmm. You go back to the Godfather, you know, uh, he could get away with anything because he said, I don't apologize for anything that I've done because I've done it entirely to protect my family. Okay. And that's something that we can all relate to today. We're so powerless in every other way in life until it comes to somebody. I mean, I don't know um, if you have brothers or sisters or anything like that, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's the one thing that you'll stop everything else you're doing. Uh, and you'll say, you know, <laughs> whether we get along or not, I've got to protect these people, you know? Right. Right. I think, so, um, that's a great, like the underdog and the family values. Um, there that's really like kind of comes down to like a hero story almost. And I was wondering for, I feel like everyone loves the underdog, but do you have a particular reason why that's for your action films and action TV and action film, why you've gravitated towards stories about an underdog? Well, I mean, uh, perhaps, um, yeah, I don't want to get really introspective, but you know, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> I came here when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. My father, uh, we, we immigrated from Greece, um, was an auto mechanic and, um, you know, he worked hard his whole life. Right. And, you know, what I've done in terms of becoming a filmmaker and, and, and being a writer and working in television and working in films, producing, directing, et cetera was always something that everybody said would never happen. Mm -hmm. I don't have any family contacts. I don't know anybody. I don't really stand a chance. It doesn't really matter that I'm pretty good at it, et cetera, et cetera. And I never paid attention to any of it, really. Mm -hmm. I just kept marching yeah. forward saying, why not me? I mm -hmm. don't understand. What does that mean? So perhaps I relate to these, these mm -hmm. characters in that, you know, I think that uh, nobody should ever crush you in terms of what your hopes and dreams are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think if you can live vicariously through these guys, and of course, you know, I give you action so that you can actually see the things that hopefully you're going to ride on this character's shoulders mm -hmm. and you're going to say, yeah, that's right. He's good. Yeah, of course, he's got to do it this way, you know, yeah. uh, against all odds, so to speak. And I think that's probably why I relate to these characters. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that, because I mean, looking over the span of your career with someone who didn't have connections and didn't have like a guided direct path into this career. I mean, you've done box office hits like Kickboxer. You've worked with Mike Tyson. You've worked with Nicolas Cage. Um, what what would you say you did or you you credit your success to looking back as someone who didn't have everything handed to them? Well, I, I mean, not giving up. Not giving but up. One thing, you know, I gravitated. I mean, one of the very first things I ever did was this little documentary called Champions Forever. And it was at the end of the career of Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, and Ken Norton. And I, I put these, these uh, world champions together who had already retired, with the exception of George, who was, re, who was coming back, okay, mm -hmm. in his 40s because he was broke. And um, I sat down and I interviewed all of them and I, and I made this documentary. We, we made it for about a couple hundred thousand dollars and we never, never expected it to become um, right. a huge selling documentary at, at the beginning of documentaries because documentaries weren't popular. Now they're, they're very popular, you know, mm -hmm. 
And I think we were number one in the in the world for about, uh, and certainly number one in the charts mm -hmm. in terms of videos back in the old video days um, for about 10 years running, okay? Mm -hmm. But the one thing I learned from all these guys is they came from nothing. Yeah. And they, they lost a lot, okay? And they failed a lot, mm -hmm. but they kept getting up off the mat and they kept fighting and they kept swinging and they never took no for an answer, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the best thing to do is you just, you know, the world isn't easy to maneuver, especially when you've got pretty big dreams. Mm -hmm. So what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just no, don't take no for an answer. Don't let somebody, you know, beat you up, so to speak, so that you don't move forward every day. Yeah, that's a that's a great thing to hear. I think any young person loves to hear something like that. Um I guess my my next question would be, uh, it's interesting that your first, the first thing you ever really did was a documentary. Because um, I feel like a lot of kids, when they're aspiring filmmakers, they'll make like a short horror film with their friends or something. Um, and I guess just what did you grow up watching as a kid that really in influenced your style and really made you want to make action films? Is there like a favorite movie or just a moment where you watch something and you thought, I want to do that? You know, I just, I started out as an actor and uh, I did very well in my teens. And uh, I worked on a movie called New York, New York um, okay. as an actor with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. And it was Martin Scorsese who was the director. And, um, and, and I was, I was in uh, college still. And I was writing this English paper on set waiting to work, you know. And so he walks behind me. And uh, he looks over my shoulder and he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just trying to finish this, this uh, short story for my English uh, class. And he says to me, he goes, let me see it. And I said, no, I said, it's not ready. And he said, oh, come on. And I said, no. I said, <laughs> so he takes it. Wow. Okay, he grabs it and he takes off and I get all aggravated, you know. Yeah. And then he comes back and he says, you know what, Dimitri says, you're a pretty good writer. He says, you're a pretty good storyteller. He said, you should. You know, he said, I think I think you should go to film school. And I said, wow. what's film school? Because film school was a new thing back then. Oh, really? Know? OK. And so he writes me this letter. I think he had his wife at the time do it, uh, recommending me to film school. So I get this incredible director writing this yeah. letter to go to film school. And I thought, film school, you know, because I, I kind of liked acting and I was doing really well. Mm -hmm. He said to me. And I, I don't mean this in a bad way at all. He goes, oh, he goes, you think way too hard to be an actor, you know. And yeah. uh, so to go back to your question, I think, you know, I used to watch the Burt Reynolds films all the time. I used to watch the Clint Eastwood films all the time. Mm -hmm. I used to watch, um, you know, all of the, the Magnificent Seven. Um, I watched uh, the, the Japanese, uh, mm -hmm. uh, The Seven Samurai, um, The Godfather all these movies that were just that probably influenced and, and of course taxi driver and, right. and the marty scorsese stuff mm -hmm. all that stuff influenced me uh to become a filmmaker because um i guess i like to approach things that are very complicated and difficult to pull yeah. off <laughs> yeah i mean that story you shared is I, I'm so glad I got that in this interview. I mean, that's really amazing. And I, I kind of know what you mean about cert, like certain people, they, they start with acting or they start with writing, but they're actually 
maybe they're they're too introspective and they're too thoughtful to be an actor and they're better at directing people or you know it's i think they all kind of come together though and i think what makes a really good director is someone who who's acted before and they they understand a little bit about that side of the work and their side of the work and they can well i understand actors and i appreciate actors and i know that those actors uh for the most part most really serious actors are naked and they get out there and they really put themselves out there okay mm-hmm. and uh and so they ha- are very brave because they try things and it might not work you know or it might work but they they try things and you got to be pretty brave to put yourself out there to do that kind of stuff uh because all the criticism usually hits you you know mm-hmm. it hits me next but it hits yeah. you and and i've always said to everybody i said look i said you know whatever you do not everybody's going to like it um they don't have to you have to develop a pretty thick skin about it mm-hmm. and i i also remember this when i was when i was uh, i had a really great acting coach from uh, uh who was head of the department at at uh, el camino college and he said to me way back when he goes i was he put me in a play i didn't even want to do a play and he put me in this play and gave me the lead and uh i was reading these reviews i had to see really terrific reviews right and then i had this really bad review and he mm-hmm. comes in and he says what are you doing and i said i'm just reading it he goes you're reading a bad review he goes give me that <laughs> all these people who snatch the papers away from me all the time right? yeah yeah and he says don't ever read a bad review he goes what's the matter with you he said mm-hmm. it's one person's opinion he goes who gives a shit he said, here, and he tears it up and throws it away. He goes, it's not going to do any good. He says, you don't know if the guy had a, it was in a bad mood. You don't know if the guy's girlfriend yelled at him that night. You don't know if, if he was drinking. You don't know anything. He says, so just read the good reviews. He goes, you're really good. Listen to me. And he goes, just move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and do you, do you abide by this now? Or do you ever? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Look, oh. uh, people can criticize you 15 different ways from Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. What difference does it make? Right. What difference does it make? You should only go with the people that that uh, really lift you up, don't mm-hmm. you think? I complete. I completely agree. And I this reminds me so much. And I I have to ask you this because when you were describing an actor that's vulnerable and out there and doesn't care, I I can't help but think of Nicolas Cage. Oh um, yeah. And I just would love to know a little bit about. He's like one of my favorite actors of all time. So just a little bit about working with him and. His well, process. he's he's incredible. Um, he showed up on set, and here's this science fiction, martial arts, right. crazy character. And he comes up to me, and he says, Dimitri, he said, what can I do to help you tell this story? He says, what do you need from me? How can I help? Okay. And he said, just tell me what you need. And then he immediately went to work with the stunt guys right afterwards and we discussed his character over and over and over again but he jumped right in after flying for 22 hours or something like that mm-hmm. and then he worked his ass off and he developed this incredible character who is funny mm-hmm. and he took a lot of challenges with it um he he brought an awful lot to the the uh, movie itself um and the movie ended up you know i think we were we were released uh on thanks the week of thanksgiving during covid mm-hmm. second year of covid i think and we were number four on netflix in america and number one in canada on netflix so we we uh it's 200 million subscribers on netflix so we crossed over we were watched by everybody mm-hmm. we did very very well but he's really serious about what he does and a lot of people you know give him shit for it but you can't you cannot 
you have to appreciate someone who works that hard mm -hmm. okay because you don't get any better by not doing anything right um he's very he's very much like a european actor european actors by the time they're finished their career they've done 120 130 movies you know yeah and i think that the american side you know they end up doing about 30 or 40. Mm -hmm. and the, on the europeans you'll remember eight or nine great movies that they made right mm -hmm. but they got there because they worked they, they developed their craft yeah that's exactly because he he says in like the unbearable weight of massive talent he's like well i'm an actor and that's my job so i'm always going to be working I'm always going to be making a film and and I I just love him and his his commit to the craft. But, oh, and he's um, a really and he's committed to artists. I mean, he yeah. he's one of those guys that knows so much about uh, painting and painters, he knows so much about uh, composers. Um he knows so much about music. He really he really dives into the artist's life, so to speak. Yeah, well, they thank you. That was just my own I had to ask about that but um yeah so it was great talking to you today and um does gunner have a release date yet or they're thinking about uh the new year okay. so i'll probably deliver the film i'm in the middle of editing it now i've got editors in the other room um and uh probably deliver it in the next few months and then they'll probably set it up for around january of next year so we'll see who's going to take it out but um it's a really it's it's looking it, it, this is the this is a wonderful group of actors mm -hmm. uh that i've assembled including the the, the fellows that play the kids you know mm -hmm. and uh they're going to carry you through the whole thing because i think that you're really going to be able to relate to them and and right. you're going to root for them which is the most important thing so right well i'm i'm so excited you couldn't have a better cast or already a really heartwarming story and i'm super excited to see it next year um thank you so much for talking with me today thank you for taking the time if you're around we'll invite you to the premiere if you'd like oh my god yes yes yeah. definitely yeah we'll probably have a premiere probably around uh october ish november ish that was just my interview with Dimitri Logothetis, the director. I loved hearing his advice on his movie and just his career. It was so fun to talk to him. I was really nervous. Can't tell. Um, but next up, I'm super excited. I also got to interview the actress, Ariel Racine. She is a social media influencer and she starred alongside Pete Davidson in a movie, and now she's talking about her upcoming Mel Gibson movie called Confidential Informant. Um, she gives great advice on positivity and self-love. I learned a lot from her, and I hope you do too. Welcome back to the Angel Baby Show. This is Ava Lynn. Elise, that was an amazing interview with Dimitri. I absolutely loved it. Learned so much. I'm very inspired. And yeah, I'm really excited for your next interview. If you want to talk a little bit about it, introduce it a little bit. 
Uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Thank you. I was really nervous, but he was super nice. Um, I'm interviewing um, an upcoming actress and social media influencer, Ariel Racine. Um, she's in an upcoming Mel Gibson movie. She talks a little bit about working with Pete Davidson and just her career as an actress um, and gives really great tips on self-love and positivity. So I think I think people can really take from her advice. So I'm excited to share it. Awesome. Let's hear it. Hi, I'm Elise. And today I am super excited to interview actress Ariel Racine. Welcome in today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Okay. So I'm super excited to talk a little bit about your career because you have had one of your most productive years to date. You starred as the lead in the film Kill Her Goats. You've co-starred with Pete Davidson. And next, the film that we really want to focus on today is the highly anticipated Mel Gibson film, Confidential Informant. Yes, it's coming out June 27th. Wow. So what a year. And um, before I even ask you about the film and what it was like working with Mel Gibson and Kate Bosworth and so forth, um, I really want to talk about how you got started because you're also a social media influencer and you have a lot of personality and super charming on social media. And I just kind of wanted to ask, like, what was that process like of just becoming a content creator and then an actress and you know, nobody really grew up wanting to be a content creator because it wasn't yeah. a thing. So how did that all happen for you? Well, I think, okay, so I started acting when I was young. I was living in LA at a small mm -hmm. age. Then my family split up. So I moved back to Kansas. So there's not a whole lot of acting going on there. Yeah. And I just did theater, did what I could, but I knew I had it in my, I had the acting bug since I was a child. Right. So I knew after I graduated, I had to get back to LA. Right. But at that point, I basically had to start completely over. Um, I had no idea. It was a lot of trial and error again. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, while I was like working on all of that, going to classes, going to auditions, messing up a million times on everything, mm -hmm. um, Instagram came along. And so mm -hmm. I was like one of the first people on Instagram. I remember I had it so early that like no one was on it and I deleted it. <laughs> so it was like, there's <laughs> yeah. nothing. Yeah. So then um got back on it and then you know started doing modeling and stuff just mm -hmm. to like pay the bills while you're still working on acting. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Instagram is that everything looks everything is now. Mm -hmm. Um the thing about building a career takes forever. Right. So I was utilizing what I could because that's all your that's like your only one tool is how you like right. represent yourself and what you do in the world and like what you show, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I was just doing that while I was working on everything on the back end. And then I, I did some theater in New York and then COVID hit, of course, yeah. and that like paused everything. And then I was like, I don't know what's going to happen yeah. because we all didn't know. And like, I was on a roll then too, but then mm -hmm. I remember I actually like was so fed up La the year last year was a great year for me, but that Christmas before I was like, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Um, and then like everything happened this year. Crazy. So yeah, now we're on a strike, which is another thing, but yeah, that too will persist and we will move on. So yeah. No, I, I feel like I hear so many actors say that it was always at like their breaking point where they say they're done, that something comes up. And I just yeah. think that's 
kind of fun. It was. I don't know if like I wanted to have my own drama, like because it was Christmas time and my family was mm-hmm. here, and I was like, yeah. I'm done, you know, like, <laughs> like everyone. And I've never really yeah. said it like that. Like I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but then and then like Christmas was done and I was alone and I was like, well, yeah. what am I gonna do? Like I can't quit. Like this is what I love. And so then I was like back at it. And then like things yeah. started happening. Yeah. That's no, that's so impressive. And I think it takes so much courage to like really go after it. It's such a not traditional path or a career and it's so unpredictable. But um, what would you say, like, due to your success, what do you think you did when you were an aspiring actress that really set you apart? What were some like tricks and success key tips you think you did? Well, I think one of the biggest things I had to do, because you all you always kind of feel like a fraud, right? Right. Like even if you're don't have any credits and stuff. Like I had to start saying that I was an actress to really believe it. I read it somewhere and I believed it. And so when people asked me what I did, I would say I'm an actress and they're like, Oh, so what do you do? And I was like, well, you know, I don't have, I'm still an actress though. Yeah. Um, true and true. So I started saying that even though it was so hard and foreign for me to say it and you felt mm-hmm. like fraud, like every time you said it, but I did it. So that's definitely something you have to t- say for sure. And then, you know, persistence, like you have to go out there and do everything you can. Like I've been on set for the worst things ever, but like I was learning everything I had to do. And like I did extra work. I've done, I mean, I've done every side of the camera, (laughs) everything that I could possibly get my hands on. And like back in the day, they don't do this anymore because of COVID and stuff. Everything's self-tape, but like auditions, you'd have like six auditions in a day and you'd be driving all day long changing your outfits in your car and everything and it's just you have to really love it Mm -hmm. like love it and i would say stay in class as much as possible and just be persistent and no one more thing do not compare yourself to others because everyone's journey is like their own and like if you see someone else that you like you know that's coming up be happy for them because you'd want them to be happy for you. And also, if you see them coming, then it's your turn on it's your turn eventually. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Like that's of the course. best advice I've heard ever. And I, I think I noticed too on your social media, you're really about like self-love and body positivity and confidence. And I think that's something with I was going to ask you, like, as a social media influencer, you probably see negativity all the time. And then you have to stay focused in your acting career to stay confident and sure of yourself and not listen to people. And, you know, it's so easy to say, but how, how do you kind of stay confident? What are some things that you do to kind of help with your own confidence or self-love and feeling good about yourself? You know, it took a long time. I think as an actor, you really have to get to know yourself Mm -hmm. to be the best, like to hone different characters and like find out what's a part of you and what is totally different from that character. So I, I've read a lot of self-help books and I know some people are like, uh, whatever. And I did the whole Tony Robbins thing and I studied neuro-linguistic programming to understand my mind. Um, so I just did a lot of inner work on myself and just like trying to tune out all the noise and not focus Mm -hmm. on everyone else. Like the doom scroll is awful. Right. And always staying busy. Like, if it's that one quote where it's like an mm-hmm. idle mind is the devil's pay- playground and that's where you yeah. like can start spiraling out like always stay busy have projects going on know that like you're doing your own thing and you're in your own path it's like it's really hard to not compare yourself to others but 
if you can do that and just like be nice to yourself, give yourself kind words, like don't, words are really powerful, right? So if you cannot talk down on yourself and if you do have like that 30 second tantrum and get over it or like Mm -hmm. set a time where you're like, I'm going to get over this after this hour or whatever, and then be done. Right. Well, I mean, I think people could definitely take advice from you because you really are succeeding in everything you've set your mind to. And it's just so inspiring to see people making it out from Kansas or, you know, not knowing someone or not having those crazy connections. Like I I respect that so much. And to talk a little bit more about um, Confidential Informant, Mm -hmm. um, it's a suspenseful thriller. um, And it's about this terminally ill police detective and he makes this deal and you play um, Ginger, an exotic performer. Yes. Um, but you're in a relationship with one of the lead detectives. So you kind of get entangled in this whole suspenseful thriller. Um, right. And that's just that just sounds like such an action packed movie. Like, what was it like training for that, working in that? What was the environment like? Um, well, I had so much fun. I guess there was a part of me that always like looked up to strippers. I mean, in a way, because yeah. I think what they do is absolutely insane. Yeah. And so when I started taking pole classes, I was like, this is like, it's, I honestly think like I had to make my own school for kids. I would be like, not kids, but like when you're coming right. into yourself as a woman to take pole classes, because I've never felt more in tune with my body than I ever have in my life. Like I was just, oh. I felt so feminine and yeah. like, yeah, I knew like how to work things and you like, you dance a little yeah. different yeah. stuff. So that was a really good workout. And like, I learned a lot about my body and myself and I was um, going to strip clubs every night. I was having a lot of fun actually. And yeah. I would just pay for the girls to like talk to me and they all have such a good head on their shoulders. Like mm-hmm. they're doing something for a reason. And when they get up there and they move and like, that is like, yeah, I think that is more like exposing than like acting or other things sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause they're in front of everyone just taking their clothes off and right. like dancing like on this pole, like doing crazy stuff. Anyways, I had a great experience learning yeah. about all of that and doing it. So that was fun. I had a lot of bruises, but um, Ginger like definitely took over my life and cause I let her, but mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with her. <laughs> no, I love the I love the commitment to the role and you really did your research and everything. And I think that that's such a good comment about strippers because it does seem like great training for an actor because you can really loosen up and get more comfortable in your body and just performing and moving around everywhere. I actually um, almost I almost went and auditioned. It was there was a certain day for auditions and you just go in and you have like the dance and I had the dance ready because I thought was the dance I was doing and the movie. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I was so frightened because I was like this, I can do auditions, but I don't know about this audition, you know? Yeah. And I was like, if I can do this, then I'll be fine when I go on set. Right. And, um, I got called to go to Canada and shoot. So I couldn't audition, but that was like the scariest thing to me. But then when I got on set and I did it, I was like, okay, I guess that was like my audition. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's so I love to hear stories like that. And um, the for the next part. So Confidential Informant is a Mel Gibson film. Um, What was his filmmaking style like and how was it different from all the other projects you've been a part of? This movie? Mm -hmm. Um, The style. Well, 
I guess it wasn't a horror film. So yeah, <laughs> the killer goats and it wasn't comedy. So it was definitely a drama. And um, right. I haven't been in a dramatic piece in a, in a while. And uh, yeah, I don't know the style, I guess. The director is like very David Lynchy. So okay. that's like the vibe, I would say. Mm hmm. No, that's that's really interesting. And um, to talk a little bit more. So that's coming out June 27th. Um, would you like to share any other upcoming projects you have or just a final note? Share your social media. Anything yeah. else you want to look forward to? Um, I was supposed to be doing a Christmas movie, but after the strike, oh. we will resume that in Oklahoma. Um, so fun. I'll start doing some stand up in the meantime. So I okay. am staying busy. Um, and yeah, you can find me, uh, at, on Instagram at the A-R-I-E-L-L-E, Ariel, R-A-Y, R-A-Y. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm so excited to see this film. I can't wait to hear about this Christmas movie. <laughs> I love those. <laughs> um, and yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm so excited to see more of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was an amazing interview, Elise. She was so personable, so likable, and I'm super excited to watch the film that she's in. Um, but yeah, we're just going to go off for a little bit of a break. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about more summer things, um, fun, and also the worst jobs we've ever had. And uh, yeah, so just stay with us after the break. This is the Angel Baby Show with Elise and Avalyn. Keep it juicy, juicy. I eat that lunch. Mm. She keep that booty, booty. She keep that plump, yeah. That natural beauty, beauty, yeah, yeah. If you could see it from the front, wait till you see it from the back, 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 juicy, back, back, yeah, back, 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 juicy, back, 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 juicy. If you could see it from the front, wait till you see it from the back, yeah. He like it thick, he like it fat, yeah. Like to keep him wanting Welcome back to the Angel Baby Show. Uh, we just had two awesome interviews with Dimitri Logothetis, a director and an actress, Ariel Racine. They gave great tips. Um, and kind of just to go back into that summer, summer movies, summer news we were talking about, I think something that we were kind of chatting about yesterday, and I'm really excited to talk about it, is summer jobs, because that's kind of what people our age tend to do in the summer. Um, in high school, college, and I think just with our passions in the industry, we're going to talk a little bit about the cool things we've done for summer jobs and the not so cool things we've done um, for summer jobs. So yeah. um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, Ava, like you could start with, I mean, the coolest summer gig I think you've ever had was last summer. Right. Obviously, I... 
I was, well, maybe not obviously for anyone that doesn't know me, but I was on The Voice last summer. So it was definitely like the best <laughs> summer, like the best summer experience I could probably ask for. Yeah. Um, and it's probably going to be really hard to top that literally ever. Um, but that was bef- definitely the best summer gig mm-hmm. that I got, um, at least in entertainment. Um, but what about you, Elise? What, what's been your best summer? Um, I would say like, just for terms of, you know, getting jobs, I loved any modeling gig we had in the summer right. Any photo shoot with me, Bella Couture, um, was pickleball in the spring or the summer? I can't I th- remember. I think it was like before spring. I remember posting on my birthday in the spring, um, uh, okay. so I think, but it was, it was summer, like vibes if that makes sense those were always like modeling gigs are always so nice because it's a one-day affair you get paid you know you get to wear cute clothes and pose for the camera like it's definitely a different kind of hard work but it's pretty fun um overall and it's also so rewarding to get the photos back and liking them i always hold my breath before I get the photos bath back, I'm like, oh my goodness. I yeah. really, really hope that these are good photos. Or when they like post a photo that you've never seen before and you're like, oh, why that one? Yeah. Really oh, any other photo. No, it's it's definitely a more self-conscious type of job, but it is really fun and definitely glamorous. Yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, I love those were great days. I also last summer I was in this. I did Actors Access and I went on, I did this commercial for like one day. And I remember I was working as a barista for the Ritz Carlton, which is definitely up there on hardest jobs. And I remember like lying to them because I really wanted to do this commercial. And so I, I, I forget what I said, but I was like, I have to go to this. This is going to be awesome. And so I ended up going and that was one of the best days of my summer. Oh, I remember that. That was so fun. That was so like kind of spontaneous a little bit. It was really fun. Um, But yeah, no, I think thinking about like my worst. It's hard to say it it wasn't a job. It was um, a summer like camp kind of. But with quarantine, this was in 2021. In, with quarantine, I was able to do two camps at once. So, you know, it was like the summer before my s- junior year. And um, I really wanted to like look good on college, you know, applications, do like everything like that. So I actually took two summer camps and did them simultaneously. So one of them was Grammy camp through USC. So that was music. And that was like singer songwriter. And that was really cool. And I was really excited about that one. But then I wanted to feel really smart as well. So I applied and got into the Northwestern Medill Cherub journalism. I remember this. Yeah. And so that was like a four week camp. And then Grammy camp was a one week camp. And so Grammy camp and the Northwestern camp overlapped for a week. So mm-hmm. I was simultaneously doing like journalism, really difficult, like Northwestern intense, like journalism while also doing um, like singing. It was a great experience, but it was online. 
and a lot of work. So it's hard to say that that was like my worst job and it wasn't even a job, but it was just, it was a crazy summer and I was definitely trying to like, I think it's, it's tough because there's those, you know, programs you do and those, like I did an old globe theater camp and I did all kinds of stuff, but I've also had, like, I remember last summer I was a barista and I woke up at 4am every day. That was awful. And because of the people and they were rude. And then the summer before that I was a hostess at this restaurant, but they were so nice. And I had this like community and it was such a warm experience. And the same goes for the theater camps I did. Like I loved the La Jolla playhouse. That was like my absolute favorite. And then the old globe, was I actually really liked the old globe too, but it, it is just the people. I don't even think it's it is. what you're doing. I think it's just the environment and the people that you're working with. We could talk about that for. No, I still agree. And also just like little jobs, you know, nannying, babysitting. Oh, you, you had the funniest oh. nannying experience, but, um, but yeah, no, we, I feel like you, especially Elise, you're two years older than me, but I also just think you've done more than me. Um, you have had so many job experiences in, well, we both, I mean, something that we both have had to do in college is work study. So, you know, we have to work at our school to pay for part of our tuition. And I think that just adds a lot of layers to your work ethic and time management. Um, but, but yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, balancing college with work studies, definitely Definitely an experience, but um, we could talk all day about funny work experiences, bad work experiences. Um, And I'm sure we're only going to get more as we get older and get more into our fields. Um, But sadly, we're kind of coming to an end. I feel like this episode has gone by so quickly. Yeah. But but yeah, thank you, Jeremiah Higgins, for being our amazing executive producer, always texting us, always helping us, getting us these backs... um, backdrops and green screens and microphones and um, everything else, scheduling times to meet with us. So um, we can't thank you enough, Jeremiah Higgins, for everything, for being our executive producer. And thank you, Richard, Dr. D, for being our amazing sound engineer. So we can sound um, a little bit less, you know, weird and muffled and and, um yeah so thank you so much for putting this all together and yeah thank you guys for making us number one and number two this week we appreciate we appreciate you continuing us making us number one so um we're super excited for next week too um i think it's going to be a great another summer episode we'll probably talk a little bit about fourth of july plans Um, Hot topics. Hot topics, yes. So we're super excited. This is the Angel Baby Show. I'm Ava Lynn. I'm Elise. You can find me on Instagram at Ava Lynn Thurston or on TikTok, same handle. Um, Kind of everywhere is just my name. Uh, Same goes for me. Just Elise Thurston, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, Find us. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at Jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and sound producer engineer Richard Dr. D. Dugan. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. And me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. 
Communicate. Listen more and evolve. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.